Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everybody that's here this morning. Glad to have those of you who are joining with us there online, whether you're on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, either one of those. Be sure to retweet us on Twitter, uh, to like and to follow us there uh, on Facebook, as well as to subscribe on YouTube. Click the notification bell, and that way you'll get the live notifications every time we go live. And want to say welcome to those who are listening on our phone live streaming. Uh, if you need that number uh, here in person to give to someone, please let us know. Uh, we'll be glad to give that to you, but want to say welcome to those who are joining on our phone live streaming there. Let me encourage you to go to our Facebook, go to our website at HighlandBaptistChurch.com. Uh, it's under the info tab there that you can download today's worship bulletin. If you need one of these in person, our ushers will be glad to give you one. You can get one at the doors back here or in the windows right here. Uh, be sure to pick up those. Uh, there's a lot of upcoming activities that you'll want to be aware of, as well as we want to encourage you to get the children's worship bulletins that are in this window over here. If you're at home, you can download those under that info tab uh, there. So be sure to get those downloaded. Share those uh, with anybody that you want. You can share the link if you want and let them print it. And then also under that link will be our prayer list. Uh, there's quite a few that's on the prayer list. We'll have some updates at the end of the service on some of those uh, that we want to share with you. So uh, be sure to look at that also there at home. If you need one of the paper versions here in person, they're outside the office uh, on the tables across from the office there in the stands. So be sure to pick up one of those. But just want to say welcome this morning. Glad to have everybody here with us uh, to worship this morning. So Brother Mike, if you will, come and lead us. I know you hadn't been seated very long, so keep your body in motion and stand with us and join the choir and sing 338, How Firm a Foundation. This morning, as you take a look at your bulletins, you'll see our missionaries of the week, Matt and Amanda Hayden. They were in our prayer guides that you should have been using uh, this last week in prayer. If you've not used that, uh, or if you even if you have, I'd encourage you to continue to be praying for each one of those missionaries uh, all throughout this month. But they are on day six in your prayer guide serving there in South Dakota. So you can read about them here, but we want to share a video uh, with you, uh, with Matt, uh, and what God is doing there through their ministry in South Dakota. So prayerfully, watch this video. For most of our Oglala people, summertime is known as the white van season. It's where white vans would show up and do a lot of great things, and then the white vans would leave. 12 years ago, I came here on a white van. 
and um, just the imprint that the church has of coming and then leaving. I believe the Lord put that in my heart to begin the call for us to come um, live here for however long he needed us. We are in the, the southwest corner of South Dakota uh, on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Pine Ridge is home to the Oglala Lakota people. And um, we lead the country in everything you don't want to lead the country in. We have 80% unemployment. The teen suicide rate is 300% higher than the national average. And we're still ultimately an unreached people group here in the center of our country. We are absolutely an evangelistic ministry, but our approach is um, through compassion ministry. We do a free summer camp for our local kids. It's a day camp. We have church groups that help us do camps for typically eight weeks out of the summer. And then one of the greatest needs we have here is um, just basic housing needs, water lines, plumbing, electrical. And um, I've always done construction. You build relationships that way. So it became a pretty big staple for our ministry was just construction outreach. And then the journey of, of becoming a, a licensed dentist practice, dental practice. And through all of that, God has blessed us with some amazing um, churches and teams that have come from all over the country um, from day one um, and ha have helped us do this. And so to make the gospel accessible, our heart was to be consistent, to be here, to be present all year long. And so people here still call it the white van season, but now it's different. We'll be sharing those kinds of videos all throughout this coming month to share with you that put that face to our missionaries and to our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. So let's go to the Lord in prayer for Matt and Amanda Hayden and their family. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for the many wonderful blessings that you have given us. And Lord, we thank you for uh, the salvation we have through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and that we have this wonderful privilege to be able to come before you in prayer, especially, Lord, uh, as we lift up the burdens that are on our hearts of, of individuals who are hurting in their lives, as well as to uplift, uh, Lord, the burdens on our hearts for our missionaries uh, who are seeking to share the gospel in all kinds of places around our nation. And Lord, to even think that we have unreached people groups and pockets around our nation sometimes is astounding to us. But Father, we just pray that you will have your hand upon Matt and Amanda Hayden and their family there in ministering to the Lakota Reservation there at Pine Ridge Reservation. Lord, we pray that you will uh, bless them in a special way, open up opportunities for them to share the gospel as, as white van season uh, comes again this summer. Uh, Father, we pray that you'll just uh, continue to send uh, churches and groups to support support them and help them in the work of sharing the gospel uh, with those on the reservation and to meet the needs even of the people there. So bless them in a great and mighty way there. And we ask, Lord, that you will bless us, that we might be a blessing to them through our prayers, through our giving, uh, even through our going for all of our missionaries. So we just ask your blessings this morning, uh, Lord, upon us, that you would impress upon our hearts what you would have us to give towards the Annie Armstrong Easter offering to support our North American missionaries, and we just ask God that your will will be done, your name will be glorified and honored. Lord, we give our service to you this morning. We want to uplift the name of Jesus. We want you to be glorified and honored, and so we just give everything to you, our hearts to you, our minds to you, our ears to you, everything, Lord, that, so that when we leave this place, we will take the message that you give us and declare it to the peoples around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me just share with you again uh, to encourage you, be sure pr to pray and then also be sure uh, to give. Uh, if you're at home and you need to give, I want to encourage you, you can send that to the church. You can drop it by the church anytime or you can go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Go to the far right hand side, click the give online tab there. You can do your online giving there with your regular budget offering. You can give your Annie Armstrong Easter offering. We have these in the windowsills uh, around as well as on the tables. So be sure to pick up one of those this morning uh, for your Annie Armstrong Easter offering and be praying what God would have you to give uh, to support those missionaries. And then also don't forget, uh, there's several things that are going to be coming up next week uh, at our business meeting. Uh, so be sure to take note of those things. Be sure to read that little blue sheet uh, that was given out about the mission effort and work that can be going there with the Ukraine refugees. Uh, read through that and be praying uh, through that also. So I uh, just wanted to make you aware of those things, Brother Mike. Join us in our next hymn. 
406, 406, the solid rock. Children's Church will be gathering over on the piano side during this song. Next hymn is 337, and please stand with us as we sing, uh, I Know Whom I Have Believed. Believe it. Stand.
Is he worthy? He is. He is. Take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to Matthew's Gospel again as we continue our walk through the life of Jesus. Uh, I've entitled this message this morning, uh, The Parable of the Sons, the Vineyard, and the Wedding, because uh, that's what each one of these parables are about. But I can already tell you, we're only going to get into the parable of the sons uh, this morning. We're going to be into the other two this evening, so that's going to push uh, some of my messages back in the, pl the order that I had them. Uh, so that, there's fair warning, Mike, <laughs> that that's going to happen. Uh, but uh, take your Bibles there. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 23 is what we're going to begin with uh, here this morning. So let's stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much, Lord, for your word this morning. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus alone is the one who is worthy, the one who has come to bring us the gift of our salvation, the only one who has authority over our hearts and over our lives. So we pray, God, this morning that you will bless this message, this passage from the word of God here about the authority of Jesus and then leading from that into the parable of uh, of the sons. And Father, I just pray that uh, you will speak to our hearts in a powerful way this morning, especially for those who may be here who don't know Christ as their Lord and their Savior, that today would be the day of salvation for them. And for us who are, Father, I pray that this will be a challenge for us to be sure that we're sharing the gospel uh, as you give us opportunities uh, through relationships that we're building with people, uh, through our, our connections with people in the community. Maybe it's through our neighbors, or maybe it's even through our family members. Lord, help us to be bold to share the good news of the gospel message, just as Jesus does here in these verses. And we just pray, Lord, your blessings on your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I, I did fail to mention earlier, if you're one of our guests, uh, be sure to pick up one of our guest bags here at the front, at the back as you leave that way or outside in the hallway here. We just want to say welcome this morning. It's got some information about our church uh, that we want to share with you as well as some gifts. So be sure to pick up one of those. If you brought a guest with you this morning, make sure uh, that they get one. As you come to this passage, what I want to start with here is to just go back and kind of remind us of the setting here of where we are in the, the life and ministry of Jesus. And uh, we gave out some little books uh, before, uh, some illustrated uh, books of the life of Jesus. Uh, I'd encourage you to go back to those if you still have yours uh, and, and read up on the current section that we're in uh, here on the life of Jesus as we're in that last week of the life of Jesus on this earth. Uh, Jesus has concluded his Galilean ministry at this point. Uh, he's crossed the Jordan River. He's entered Jericho. He healed those two blind men there, uh, one by the name of Bartimaeus. While he was there also, uh, he led Zacchaeus into his kingdom. And then in the midst of a, a procession that he leads from Jericho, he goes from Jericho up the hill, up the mountains there, towards Jerusalem for the Passover. Uh, you'll remember that he, when he arrives there in the vicinity of Jerusalem, he goes to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus uh, that first Saturday night on Sunday. Uh, he awakens uh, in Bethany to a great crowd that had packed the city and had gathered around the home to see him. I mean, they knew him as the miracle worker. They knew him as the one who had raised Lazarus from the dead. And they wanted to see him. Uh, they wanted to be with him. They wanted to hear him. And so Sunday he spent the day with the multitudes of people uh, who had come to Bethany. On Monday he gets up in the morning. Uh, he sends his disciples to go find that colt, that foal uh, of a donkey to bring him uh, into Jerusalem, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. Uh, he got that colt, rode triumphantly into the city. People were throwing their palm branches down uh, and clothing in his path. And they were hailing him saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the Son of David. They held him as Messiah. It was a triumphal entry. It was a day of a grand celebration. 
And he came in in that procession, and that procession ultimately ended at the temple. And when he returned to Bethany on Monday night, he, he spent the night again probably in the home of, of Mary and Martha and Lazarus there. Tuesday morning came. He woke and he went back into the city, and this time we find he goes directly to the temple. When he comes to the temple, he saw the wickedness, the sinfulness, uh, the devastation of the selfish money changers and the, the animal sellers and, and all of that. And you remember that he cleansed out the temple. And that infuriated the religious leaders who already despised him and wanted him dead. And, and so it's now like the, the flames are fanned even hotter and hotter. And when he's just finished cleaning out uh, the temple, you'll remember that there were some little children uh, who began to sing uh, hosannas and to sing praises uh, to him. And that just infuriated these leaders even more. And in fear, they, they began to work all the more feverishly to begin to plot his murder. Uh, they couldn't tolerate somebody who would expose their false worship, who would unmask their hypocrisy. And so in their minds, they've got to eliminate him as fast as they can before some religious revolution takes place. You'll remember after the cleansing of the temple, he goes back to Bethany that night, most likely spending it with Mary and Martha and Lazarus again. And so now it's Wednesday morning. He goes back to the temple again, and this time, walking past that fig tree uh, that we talked about last week that's been cursed, teaching his disciples some profound lessons there about false pretense and about the power of prayer. And then he, he proceeds directly back to the temple, and that's where we find him here in verse 23. He had cleansed the temple the day before and now he confronts the leaders and the people who are gathered there. It's almost as if he had to clean the place up before he could go back and really minister to the people who were there. And so now begins a, a confrontation in, in verse 23. Uh, it, it, it's a long morning, actually, a long day of confrontations, and it builds up the flames that ultimately will lead to his crucifixion. And, and so I want you to see the parable of the two sons. We're going to get into that in a moment, but as we look at verse 23 and beginning here uh, down to verse 32, I want us to just kind of hang our thoughts on a few words here, a few ideas. I want you to begin with this, these words, the confrontation. Look at verse 23 again. Here's what it said in verse 23. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Now, we know here the issue is authority. That's what the whole issue is. Notice it says, when he entered the temple... Now, this was his turf, if you would. Uh, remember that he didn't come to overthrow the, the Roman government, the Roman occupation. He came to clean up Israel in their hearts. He wasn't as concerned about the state of the nation militarily or economically or socially. He was concerned about the state of the nation spiritually. He, he was no political messiah. He was a savior. And he had came and confronted the heart of the nation where it needed to be confronted. And that was at the point of its religion. And so he comes to the temple. That's always the place where God has to begin his work. That's why the New Testament says this, judgment has to begin where? At the house of God. And so he's cleansed the place, and now he begins to take center stage, and he begins teaching. Now, the people were collected around him. Think of this, there's a, there's a vast multitude that are there at the temple this day. You might ask the question, though, what was he teaching? If you were to read the parallel passages uh, of this account in Luke chapter 20 and verse 1, you would hear Luke say that he was preaching the gospel. If you saw the parallel passage in Mark chapter 11, verse 27, Mark says that he was walking. So you get the idea here that he's walking around the temple courtyard area here as he's speaking. Uh, he's walking about in the midst of this, this mass of people. He's teaching and he's preaching. He's teaching the kingdom of God and he's preaching the gospel. More than likely, he talked about sin. 
He talked about the devastation of it and the foolishness of hypocritical religion. He probably talked about judgment and inevitably uh, of hell for those who, who, who refuse to trust God's truth and God's way of salvation. He probably talked about righteousness and hopelessness, the hopelessness of, of a self-righteousness and, and, and trying to attain salvation by your own good works. He, he may have talked about humility and the place for brokenness and the self-emptying and, and self-crucifixion in our own hearts and our own lives. He must have talked about love because that's a part of the gospel message. He had to talk about the love of God and the love that we ought to have for God. He probably talked about peace and how God wanted to make peace in people's hearts on a permanent basis, not on a temporary basis. Maybe he talked about the cost of following him. Maybe he talked about persecution. Maybe he talked about eternal glory. Maybe he talked about the narrow gate and the, and the narrow way or the broad gate and the broad way. Maybe he talked about life. Maybe he talked about death. But what we know is whatever he talked about here specifically, he taught about the kingdom and he preached the gospel. And, and get this, you know something? When he preached, when he talked, people were listening. They really listened. They were awestruck by him, hopeful that he was going to fulfill all of their dreams, all of their expectations, coming to be uh, the messianic Messiah who they thought would come and, and, and release them from uh, the Roman oppression. It says, though, in Luke 19, verse 48, it says, for all the people were hanging on his words. So you could just imagine, they're, they're wondering, what is Jesus going to say? What is he going to do? He had their ears, and so he teaches them. But the leaders, they could see something's about to happen here. We're about to lose control. And they were in a state of panic, and they wanted him dead. And as he, so as he moves about, he's walking about teaching, and they begin to confront him, and they stop his teaching. I mean, just imagine... Here this morning, I'm preaching this message, and somebody or a group of people, because this is a group of people, stands up and, and begins to interrupt the service, begins to interrupt the message. That's what we have here. Jesus is preaching. He's teaching. And all of a sudden, these guys, they come closer. They interrupt and they say, by what authority are you saying these things? By what authority are you doing these things? Notice verse 23 there again. By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? You know, it's always amazing how people who can't get together on any other thing can get together against Jesus Christ. I mean, think about who you've got here. You've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Who, who their views are totally different uh, on things. You've got probably the Herodians here. You've got the Zealots. You've got the Essenes, none of whom could ever agree with one another. You've got all these divergent rabbinical viewpoints coming together. Every one of the groups has their own rabbis, and everybody's own rabbi had their own view, and they can't get together on much, but they can sure get together on stopping Jesus. So all of these guys, they've been having this meeting. They've been plotting how to get rid of Jesus. It's kind of like they're over here on the side as Jesus is mingling throughout the group, walking throughout the group. There are people that are in the temple and, and teaching them and preaching to them the gospel. And they're over here plotting how they can get rid of Jesus. They can't take what's going on. And he counters everything that they affirm. And so they say, by what authority do you do these things? In other words, show us your ordination papers. Show us your credentials. Where is your Sanhedrin approval? Now, what did they mean by those things? Well, no doubt, uh, when, when they say, who, who gave you the authority to do these things, uh, the, the things there no doubt meant the teaching and the preaching he was doing that day. But it probably also meant, who gave you the authority to cleanse the temple yesterday, to get rid of all those money changers out of the temple? Uh, who, who, who gave you the authority to come in to Jerusalem uh, with their royal entry and accepting those accolades of people who are praising you as the Messiah? Uh, it probably even included the miracles and everything else he did, uh, commanding demons, forgiving sin, whatever else. Where did you get the authority for this? Where are your credentials? Where is your Sanhedrin authorization? That was the confrontation. But I want you to look at the challenge from Jesus in verse 24. 
and verse 25. Verse 24, Jesus answered them, and he said, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. So in true rabbinical fashion, he answers a question with a question. He's not evading the answer. In fact, they answer, they had answered the, if they had answered the question, they would have the answer to their question. So he's not evading the question they've asked. He's giving an opportunity to, for them to honestly answer the question. And if they answer the question, their own question will be answered. You see, they knew uh, what, what authority he had acted on. They knew that he had said many times that he did what the Father showed him to do. They knew that, and they didn't like that. And so I think they would have liked for him to have said that again, and then they would have accused him of blasphemy and killed him because if you remember earlier that he had claimed when he had authority from God, they said he had, he had blasphemed making himself equal with God, and maybe they wanted him to say that again so they could accuse him of blasphemy, and that would be part of hatching the plot that would ultimately bring about his death. But he doesn't answer their question with an answer, he answers it with a question. And, and so he says, if you answer my question, I'll answer yours. So here comes his challenge. Here's the question. Look at verse 25. Here's the question. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? That's the question. Now, that's a fair question. John the Baptist, who was a voice crying in the wilderness, out beyond Jordan, uh, readying a people for the Messiah. Everybody knew about him. He was the last prophet of the Old Testament age, a great man. Uh, he had been out there, and all Israel had been going to him. Uh, he had been saying over and over and over, the Messiah is near, the Messiah is near, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. He even pointed out to Jesus and said, here is the Lamb of God who comes. And so when Jesus says the baptism of John, he means the whole ministry of John, which, symbolized, uh, which was symbolized by his baptizing work. And so he's saying, you tell me then, was the ministry of John the Baptist, was it from God or is it from man? That's his question. Now, it was a tough question for them to answer, easy question for us because we already know the story. We've already, we already know the answer. But for them, it was a hard question because let's just say that they say it was from heaven. Well, then what do they have to admit? They have to then admit that Jesus is what? The Messiah. Because that's what John had said. If they say no, that his ministry is of the earth, then what's their problem? Well, the whole nation believed John the Baptist was from God, and they're going to lose their credibility just like that. And so they called this huddle together, and they're, 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 they're regrouping. Uh, and so notice what verse 25 goes on to say. It says, and they discussed it among themselves. Now, the word there for discussed is the word uh, dialogizomai, which means they dialogue. It's actually in the present tense. It's a present tense verb, which means that it's a continuous action. So they get in this huddle together and they're having this continuous long discussion amongst themselves. What are we going to say? Uh, what are we going to say? Uh, well, if we say this, or if we say that, uh, here's the problems with both of these. And, and so they're all in this little huddle. And what do they say out of their huddle? Notice the end of verse 25 into verse 26. Verse 25 says, and they discussed it among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say it was from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. But notice these guys, they're trained in ignoring the facts. It didn't matter what the evidence was. They could ignore it. It didn't matter what Jesus said. It didn't matter what he did. It didn't matter uh, how powerful his miracles were, how utterly inexplicable they were on a human basis, how unanswerable his teaching was. They still refused to believe. And so here's the answer of the mass of religious leaders 
of Israel. This isn't just a few guys. This is a massive group uh, of the leaders here who come back with this answer. And so verse 27, so they answered Jesus, we do not know. We can't give you an answer. Wow. It's their duty to be perceptive observers of religious matters. It's their duty to know. And they ignored all the evidence of who Jesus was. And, and they wouldn't be put in a position where they were going to admit Jesus is the Messiah. And so they just said, we don't know. We can't give you an answer. And so he says, in the remaining part of verse 27, he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So the confrontation we see, the challenge we see, the counter question that he offers. And so uh, he's not through with them though. He doesn't have anything else that's good to say to them, but he does have uh, something more to say to them about judgment. And so we see in verse 28 and following the characterization of them. Notice verse 28 here. He says, what do you think? Um, so, so get the context here. He's been talking to them. They've been discussing. They've asked by what authority. So it's an authority question they're asking. Now we come to these parables. And these parables are going back to the question, back to the disagreement that they had. So it begins, and he says, what do you think? It's very simple. He, he gives this story. He says, a man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son... Go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son, and he said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. And so you get the picture. Here's a father who has two sons. The reason you have a father and two sons here is you've got this built-in relationship uh, that you have a responsibility for obedience. That's why he uses the illustration here of a father and his son. So the father goes to his sons. Uh, he runs the vineyard. Uh, he says, go to the vineyard, go to work. Son number one says, I I'm, not, I'm not going. I'm not going to do it. But afterwards, he repents and goes. Son number two says, I will and he never does. Now, it would seem to me that somewhere there ought to be a son number three who said, I will, and he did. But that's not the story. You just have two bad guys here. And what it is is a characterization of humanity. And some versions flip these two, but it still makes the same point. And so he says in verse 31, what do you think? So they're excited to be able to answer a question thinking that at last they've got one that won't incriminate themselves. And so uh, he go, they go on and he, he says in verse 31, which of the two did the will of his father? And they're like, we've got this one. It's the first, it's the first son. We know the answer to this one. And so they're excited. They can answer this question. It's not going to incriminate themselves, but it did. The first, they say. We mean the guy who did it, the guy who, who said he wouldn't but repented and did, and they were right. But that was the characterization of this parable. Now we want to see the connection because we see the connection in the remaining part here in verse 31 where they said, it's the first. So Jesus says to them, ding, 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 right answer. Truly I say to you, he says, you got the answer right, but truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. How does that connect with them? How does he apply that? This is devastating because they had hurriedly answered the first and they put themselves in a dire situation where Jesus says the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God 
before you. And it's like you could hear the crowd saying, Ooh, he said that to the religious leaders? I mean, these are the religious elite. These are the ones who think they're so moral, who, who are living with this illusion that God is thrilled with them because of their purity. Now understand that phrase, the tax collectors and the harlots or the prostitutes, is, is a pro proverbial, a proverbial statement. It's a euphemism uh, for, for the lowest of society, uh, for the scum of society is the way people would have looked at them. We've talked about tax collectors before. Uh, they were viewed as treasonous, as traitors. Uh, they were Jews who had sold themselves out to Rome to, to take unfair taxes from the people. They were traitors. And, and there were also these prostitutes, these harlots, those who were a symbol of all the, the gross, God-defying immorality. And so he says tax collectors and prostitutes, the outcasts, the scum of society, and Jesus says, you. In effect, like you're like that second son. You say we will, and you never do. You pretend to obey God, but you never do go into his vineyard. You never live under his terms. You never obey his commands. And on the other hand, he's saying, here are the lowest of society, the tax collectors and the prostitutes who start out rebelling against God, and, and yet they, they repent and they go into his vineyard and they obey. They change their heart. They change their mind. They change the direction they were headed. That's the idea of repentance. So the point is here, you have a people who claim obedience and don't obey, and a people who deny obedience but ultimately do. And that's the difference. Tax collectors and prostitutes, he said, go into the kingdom of God before you. Now that's a strong statement that Jesus is making there because now they have lost face in the front of this crowd. He's not really saying here, you're going to go in after them. That's not the implication. The idea is they're going in and you aren't because you're just pretending on the inside. You don't have the relationship. You haven't really truly believed. The idea is they're going in. You're not. Religion doesn't get you into the kingdom. And sin repented of and forgiveness doesn't keep you out. That is the good news. That is the message of the gospel. They were the worst of humanity. But the gospel tells us so beautifully in John the Baptist's ministry. Who was it that believed? It was the prostitutes and the harlots and the, the lowest of society. It was the people who were overwhelmed by their sin. Because notice what the beginning of verse 32 says. It says, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. You didn't believe him. But the tax collectors... And the prostitutes believed him. And so uh, they, they came down to John and, and they got ready. They, they, they said, uh, we, we got to get ready for the kingdom. The, the prostitutes, the, the, the tax collectors, they realized they needed to confess. They needed to repent of their sins. And so they did. They believed. But remember, there were Pharisees who were there when John the Baptist was baptizing. And you remember back in Matthew chapter 3, when the Pharisees came down, John the Baptist is baptizing, and John calls him, he says, you snakes, you vipers. He says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You better bring forth fruits unto repentance, because the Messiah's coming, and when he gets here, uh, he's going to take, and take the axe, and he's going to lay it to the root of the tree, and he's going to come, and his hand, in his hand is the fan, and he's going to separate the wheat and the chaff, and he's going to start a, fur a furnace of fire. In other words, he gave them a whole judgment message, John the Baptist did. He was taking the sinners in, and they were confessing and repenting and being baptized in, 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 in believing in Jesus as the Messiah. And the religious leaders, they were coming, but they weren't accepting the message. They weren't believing at all and, and not repenting. And so he says, because of that, Jesus is saying, because of that, 
you're like son number two who says, oh, yes, God, we love you. Oh, yes, God, we obey you. But you never do. He's saying, you heard a good man speak a good word, and you refused to believe it. Now, that's indictment enough for them. But then he gives them another indictment. He said about the tax collectors and the harlots, the prostitutes believed him. They believed him. Uh, they heard John. They accepted the message. They repented. But notice what goes on in verse 32 in the last part. He says, and even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Wow. That's a double indictment now. In other words, you rejected the message and you rejected the power that you saw in the prophet of God. Doubly indicted, just like today. Because you can sit today and listen to the message that's preached. You can listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can listen to the saving message of the gospel. And you can walk away and you can say, I won't believe that. I won't believe that message. And that's your first indictment. But then comes your second because you have to see all around you. This morning, there are people in this congregation who have trusted in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, and God has changed them. That's the power of God that you see in people who are sitting across this congregation, people who you know uh, who are believers. You see the fruit in their lives. And he says, you see the power of God that has transformed someone from a sinner to being saved. Someone who was lost, but now they're found. Someone who was blind, but now they can see. And you still refuse to believe. That's the second indictment. The word that we see in this and in those men's is a word of final judgment. It's a word of doom. It's a word of hell, hopelessness for those who had been exposed to the full light of the, Son of, the, of the Son of God. Think about it. Just like Jesus' disciples had been with him, these Pharisees and Sadducees and these other groups of guys, they had been following Jesus around trying to find that one occasion they could accuse Jesus, that they could condemn Jesus. They had seen it. They had seen it all. They had heard it all. I mean, they had seen and heard of Lazarus who had risen from the dead and they wouldn't believe the message and they wouldn't believe the transforming power. How could they possibly ignore all of that? And yet we do the same thing today. And so Jesus turns out the light. End of discussion. Let me ask you this. Have you looked at your own heart? And if you have, what did you see? Do you believe the message? How about the transforming power? Genesis chapter 6 verse 3 says this, My spirit will not always strive with man. The Lord didn't always strive even with his own rebellious, hard-hearted, willfully blind, chosen people, and he won't with us today. And no one should know the wrath of God. No one should fall under the wrath of God. No one should fall under the condemnation that comes to, other, to, to unbelievers. So I want you to think on the things that you've heard in these verses. Jesus was his own authority. He didn't need to be approved by men. He didn't need to quote human teachers. He didn't need authorization from some false religious system. He spoke and he did what God the Father told him to say and to do. And over and over and over again, he revealed himself even as he does now through his word and through his power. And you've heard his message. You've seen his transforming power in the lives of others. So the question is this morning, do you stand with these religious leaders who willfully rejected Jesus in spite of all they had heard, in spite of all they had seen? Let me ask you this morning to open your heart to Jesus, to receive him as your Savior, as your Lord and your Master and your King, because this is your day.
And may it not be said that you enter into eternity not knowing, not hearing. Make that decision today. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, then I want to encourage you to keep on shining the light of Jesus in your life. Keep on telling others the good news of the gospel message. You may think that what you're doing and what you're saying isn't having any impact on those individuals that you're burdened with in your heart. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's your children. And you may be thinking, it just isn't getting there. You keep on shining it. You keep on telling them about Jesus and showing them the love of Jesus. And God will begin to use that in their hearts. At the very least, that when they come to the final place there in eternity, you can stand before God, knowing you did all you needed to do, you said all you needed to say, that it wouldn't be held to your account, that their decision wouldn't be on your hands because you didn't tell them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray this morning that we would sense the working power, the wonder-working power of the Spirit of God on our hearts. And Lord, that no one who's here this morning would go away without knowing Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, without coming to Him by faith. Father, I pray uh, this morning that the Spirit of God will, will break down walls of unbelief in our hearts. Lord, that you would take the scales off of people's eyes, that you would unstop the deafened ears. Lord, that you would melt the hardened hearts. And there would be those, Lord, who would come this morning to say, I said I wouldn't, but I come today. I'm coming to obey the Lord to follow him as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that they would call out to you and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on that cross, was buried in the tomb and arose on the third day. Jesus, come into my heart and my life and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Lord, if someone has prayed something like that in their hearts, if they're here in person, I pray, God, they'll step forward in this time of invitation to come, Lord, and to publicly profess that faith in Jesus. But Father, there may be many of us who are here this morning, and we already know Christ as our Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that this message has stirred our hearts, knowing, Lord, that it is the power and the authority of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives that bring them to salvation. Our responsibility is just to tell. And just to keep on telling and to keep on showing in our lives the love of Jesus Christ. So Lord, do whatever it takes in our hearts to break down any walls that may be in our lives, Lord, that are keeping us from sharing with others. Maybe it's fear. Lord, I pray that you'll fill our hearts with your perfect love because you've told us your perfect love casts out all fear. Father, whatever it might be in our lives, Help us, Lord, to have a burden and a love for others around us that we couldn't wait to tell them about what Jesus has done for us. And Father, I just pray for your blessings and this invitation that you'll be glorified, that the name of Jesus will be magnified and lifted up. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing number 321, The Savior is Waiting. Brother Mike, if you'll come.
can be seated for just a moment. Let me just encourage you. Come back on Sunday nights. Uh, if, you don't, if all you come is Sunday morning, you're only getting one-third of the messages I preach each week, so you're missing out on a lot. If you can't come, be sure to watch the messages online as we'll continue tonight uh, with the life of Jesus. Brother Mark, if you'll come and share our announcements. Good morning. We just have a couple of announcements before we dismiss. Uh, there is a box out uh, behind the hallway here for candy donations, individually wrapped candy donations for the uh, Easter egg hunt for children coming up on April 1st. And there's also a, a need for volunteers to help out with traffic and food and, and games. And that sign-up sheet will be on the bulletin board back in the hallway behind us here. Uh, Pastor Matt, did you have any announcements this morning before we... Let me just share uh, uh, prayer, prayer concerns here. Uh, Linda Hawkersmith's brother, Don, has had uh, some health issues and appreciates your prayers for Don uh, as he uh, makes decisions about his treatment and so forth. Uh, also, uh, Lee McKelvey was stricken several days ago and the family has made a decision to take him off of life support this evening. So be with that family. Uh, Miss Betty's also in the hospital, not doing real well, so be in prayer for her. Then the uh, um, Wanda Nichols family, uh, of course Wanda passed away, Todd's mom passed away, so be in prayer for, for that family. And then, uh, is it Mr. Mady, Steve Maybe, uh, Steve, Steve Maybe family in the passing of Steve. Um, be in prayer for that family as well. And that's all we have. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for your son and his obedience and his uh, great willingness to follow through on the mission that you sent him on and to uh, illuminate the path for all those that would follow him and seek to be restored back into fellowship with you. We thank you for his faithfulness and for his great success as it's being uh, revealed to us through the gospel stories in these in these messages. Uh, just speak to our hearts in the days ahead. Be with all these that have been mentioned that are in need physical healing or or uh, uh, comfort in the loss of loved ones. And we just pray that you bring us back to this place again this evening. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.